Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, it got weird. You're all like, I wasn't planning on coming to church today. Kind of wish I stayed home because this is that weird part. This is like knee deep in the weirdness, okay? Like today is one of the toughest days because we have locusts. We have locusts that are like chariots. We have angels that seem to be destroying thirds of humankind. I mean, we've gotten all kinds of stuff going on. And here's a really important thing to remember. And it's a, it's one that I... I struggle with sometimes. Imagine, if you will, you are going to an art museum. And you go to an art museum, and the first time you see a painting, it is just incredible. It's amazing. And and you are blown away by the beauty of the painting. And now you start to study the painting. And you start to study the history of the painting and, and the meaning that the painter had behind it and the reason he used reds instead of greens. And, and it becomes an academic study for you. You walk back into that museum, what tends to happen? It has now become an object of study, not of awe. The purpose that John is giving us these intense revelations through The reason God has wrapped them up in scary imagery is it is not just to symbolize what stands behind it. It is to do that, but it's not just to do that. If John wanted just to talk about repentance, he could have given a theological talk on repentance. But John wanted more than that, and God wanted more than that. God wanted it to come wrapped up with emotion and come wrapped up with a picture that that does something inside of you. So the reason we have these locusts that are coming out, stinging like scorpions, dressed up like a chariot, because it does something in us, right? I don't know about you, but after we just read that, after we heard that, it's kind of hard to say thanks be to God. Did it feel a little funny to you? You're like, yeah, thanks for that. But that's the intent. So are we going to talk about the imagery there and its symbolism, yes. But I don't want you to lose the emotional gut punch that is going on in the midst of trying to academize it. I know it's not a word. But there is something important about sitting under those pictures and going, whew, that's intense and that's good. Just like there's something good about, and I have never done this, but I've heard it's just magical, walking into the Sistine Chapel and just seeing the enormity of that work. Having it not just be, oh, why Michelangelo did this, but having it be this wonderful work of art. So we come to this scary, scary part, and we acknowledge that that it's scary. And, and the thing is, is we are entering again into a cycle of seven. Seven is a complete number, right? So if you notice in your text, if you want to open up the Bible that we've given, that's right in front of you, um, or if you've brought your own Bible, that would be totally awesome. But if you notice, um, Revelation 8 
Then there was the lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to him. What we're doing is we are transitioning into a new section of seven. Now, I want to show you something that I think is super cool. So, you know, my whiteboard, I've been going, there has to be a better way than that, right? Like this, there has to be a better way. And so I spent some time researching and watch this. See that? Watch this. That's pretty slick. If you ever see my pictures show up over your worship music, it's because I'm just having fun. (laughs) Just doodling. But this is pretty cool. So now we don't have to use a whiteboard ever again. But watch here. We have our cycle of seven. So the first cycle of seven was, I'm going to get rid of that line and start here, here. The first cycle of seven were our seven seals, right? I don't have good handwriting without this, so we're our seven seals. That's an A. Our next cycle of seven are the trumpets. So here we are in the trumpet. We are then going to get a cycle of seven, which is an interlude. And then we're going to end with the bowls. These are the seven cycles of seven from the ascension, from when Jesus goes up to the judgment seat. That's God on the cross or on the uh, throne. And I'll give him a crown with orange. (laughs) Screenshot anybody? You want to take your phones? You're allowed to, you're allowed to take your phone right now and take this because this is a pretty spiritual experience. I understand. Seven cycles or three cycles of seven with an interlude between the second and the third ones. You will also then notice that at this seventh one, it introduces our next one. So it brings us there. And so we are back to the beginning. What's a good way to prove this? Well, if you see, and if you flip back, remember when we saw the seals broken and we had the um, fifth seal and the sixth seal, and in the sixth seal, the stars all got um, whoop, brought up like a curtain, and it says, um, uh, where is it here? And all of a sudden, the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the fig tree drops in winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll rolling itself up, right? So the end of the cycle of seals here, the sky totally disappears. Well, if you heard in the reading, what happens again when the trumpets get blown? Well, when we have the fourth trumpet, a third of the moon and a third of the stars were darkened. Wait, I thought we lost all the stars before. That's because that was the end of that cycle of seven. Now we're moving ourselves back to the beginning. Where are you living? Right here. You are in the midst of this. You know, the temptation is to say we're right there. But really, maybe we're right here. Right? We are in the midst of this. You look around and these visions that we just saw, they're happening, aren't they? The world is being destroyed. Stuff is being taken away. It feels like things are burning and, and just, I mean, just opened my, 
news app this morning, another bomb went off and more people died. Right? Somewhere in the Middle East. It's like, what's happening? And this is why, this, exactly what we're about to read, is why the most common Christian prayer throughout history is a simple one. It's, come Lord Jesus. Come. When you don't know what to pray, when you see things broken that shouldn't be that way, come Lord Jesus. This is a mess. Come Lord Jesus. And that's, that's what we pray as Christians. Because he's the only one who's able to make it right. And so we have this angel that starts this vision. And what he's doing is he's pouring out. If you look, um, another angel, the golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense of the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Ah, one of my favorite images again. Your prayers are rising before God like incense fills a room. How glorious is that? And then God hears the cries of his people. He hears us crying, come. And then he responds. And he pours out this golden censer upon the earth. And if you want to in your Bible, if you have your own Bible, highlight that verse, verse 5, and right next to it, Ezekiel 10, 1 through 8. Because in Ezekiel 10, something very similar happens, and it is an act of judgment. It's God's act of judgment against the earth. And so God is judging it. And here's a, a, a cool thing. If you see the word through, and he threw it onto the earth, this word through in Greek is in the perfect tense. We in English don't have a perfect tense. What the perfect tense means is it's an action that happened in the past, but its results continue into the future. So, for example, if I were to write the word, I ate dinner in the perfect tense, what you would know is I ate food in the past, but the results of me eating food, I'm full, those continue now into the present. Okay? So, what's very neat is that Greek gives us the ability to say, Jesus Christ died on the cross for the salvation of mankind. If that's in the perfect tense, the action happened in the past, but his results continue to this day, which is why we sing. And so the idea is that this throwing, this judgment is happening throughout the blowing of the trumpets. God's judgment is being poured out upon the earth throughout the blowing of the trumpets. And I need you to see this next section because it's really important that if we go all the way to the end, in Revelation 9.20, the end of this section, you'll read something and it is so, so sad. Because look at what it says. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the work of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornications or their thefts. After all of this judgment happens, their hearts are still hardened against God. They still don't repent. The point of all of this is repentance. It's for the people who are here to see God for who he is and to worship him as such. 
and we still miss it. I want you to look at your blue sheet, and on the back of your blue sheet, I gave a quote here by a man who um, I think is very interesting, Paul David Tripp, and he, for, he says this, we forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situation or relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be holy. God is in the business of making you holy, not happy. God is in the business of turning my hearts and minds to him and causing them to repent. He wants faithfulness. And so we see this imagery and we get afraid because we see all this imagery. But what God is saying is, come to me. I want to be with you. And we miss it. See, it's the same as, as Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh, if you remember in the Exodus... And a lot, what's fascinating about these is that all of these can tie back into the plagues that happened upon Egypt. And if you remember those plagues, God was sending the plagues down, and there's this really hard verse in there. And it's the verse, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Anyone ever struggle over that? Yeah, right? It's a tough one to get through. How do we understand that? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is what I think is going on. What's happening is we have Pharaoh's heart here. And God is saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. He says, okay, I'm going to make darkness. Let my people go. No. And God's trying to move Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh's in a position of resistance. If I were to hit my hand like this enough, what would happen to my palm? Callus. I would no longer, it wouldn't be hard for me to hit my hand anymore. It wouldn't hurt. Ladies in the room, when you were in high school and some boy started asking you out and you did not want to go on a date with him, the first time, was it a little awkward to say no? Well, I may hurt his feelings. I don't want to, you know, that may not be a good thing. And then by the hundredth time he's asked you out, you're like, no, I've said no. I don't want to go with you. Right? You've hardened your heart against him. You don't care if he goes home and cries to his mom. You're like, I'm not going on a date. This is what happens to us in positions of God. We say no, and our heart begins to harden. And so God constantly was beating down on Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was pushing against God, and in the process, God hardened his heart. Because he kept saying, let my people go, let my people go. So here we have, this mic stand is just like, or this thing is just, whoop, going down on me all the time. Here we have God pouring out upon creation these judgments. And so we have the first angel, a third of the trees were burned up. The second angel, a third of the sea became blood. The third angel, a third of the rivers became bitter. And then the fourth angel, the sun and the moon and the stars. A third, a third, a third. Why a third? Right? Part of you goes, well, why a third? Well, the reason I think it's a third is because a third is enough to be significant, but still enough to be merciful. Like, I mean, classic God. Enough to be like, this is judgment upon the earth. But I'm not going to take it all away. You'll still have two-thirds that you can farm. You'll still have two-thirds of the water you can drink. But it's enough that you're going, I wish we had that other third. 
I think that's important. Always. God can't separate himself, guys. God can't just be just without being merciful. And God can't be merciful without being just. And so when we worship Jesus for who he is in his love for us, along with that is his justice. And it's a part of this, is a third being destroyed and a third being destroyed. And then we have this eagle that flies across the sky. And the eagle goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And basically what he's saying is things are about to get real. And now we have the locusts. And the locusts come out, and the locusts, so what we've moved from is this creation judgment to a spiritual judgment. And these locusts, Satan is the star that falls. He unlocks the key, and out come all these demons. And these demons are there to terrorize and to cause trouble. But notice that even the demons, they're only allowed to torture them for five months. Now, five months seems like a strange amount of time, doesn't it? But if you do a little bit of research, what you'll find is this. Oh, no. My telecaster didn't go away. Go away. There we go. This is from a, like, locust-loving site. <laughs> this, is not, this is not from, you know, Bible.com trying to make it fit. What's fascinating is if you, if you count that up, the life cycle of a locust is five months. Yeah, isn't that cool? I mean, like, look at what God, it's like, so a locust lives about five months. And five months is also enough to be significant. Again, if you are being spiritually tortured for five months, you're going to remember that time, aren't you? But it's not forever. Locusts don't live forever. Locusts swarm, but really they're of no danger to you. Scorpions sting but there's not a lot of them, right? Praise the Lord. There's only usually one scorpion. Now, combine those two. Ho-ho! Not good. Stinging, swarming locusts, which is the point. But the reason, why does this happen? Repentance. Why are these things out there? To bring about repentance. And what do we do? We harden our heart against God. What do the unbelievers do? They harden their heart. Because even after all of this happened, they still refused to repent. And all of the imagery that we have of this is meant to cause us fear. It's meant to get this idea of the imagery of an attacking group of locusts. So they look like they're charging. They're wearing battle armor. They're supposed to be out doing work against the unbelievers, right? They're supposed to be out doing that. It is a demonic kind of work. Um, this right here, like this verse is enough for me to never watch movies that are spiritually horror movies. Like demon movies, I just don't watch. You may watch them, don't invite me over. I will not watch demon movies. Why? Because of this stuff. I think it's real. Rambo, whatever. I'm not going to be found in the jungle like chased by a predator alien. But some kind of crazy demonic movie? No, sir. Why? Because they are out to destroy you. Don't give them a little opening. Don't be like, yeah, I'll watch that movie. And then that night lay in bed going, what's going on? So no, I just cut them out of my life. I just cut them out, not in my house. And so, because of this, stinging locusts. No thank you. So what happens then is the first woe pass, and now there's still two woes to come. Then we have this sixth angel, and they have this judgment that happens on the earth at a specific time, the hour, the day, the month, and the year. 
and they are out to judge. And we again come with judgment and we don't understand what God does. But again, I refer you to the back of your blue sheet and a C.S. Lewis quote I found. If God is wiser than we, his judgment must differ from ours on many things and not least on good and evil. What seems to us good may therefore not be good in his eyes, and what seems to us evil may not be evil. Worshiping God means saying you are totally better than me, and I submit to your reality. I'm not going to try to battle my truth against yours. I believe your truth, and your truth is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so I submit to that. And that's what it is to be a Christian. It's to submit to his way being better. And so here we have this, this season of judgment and repentance. In this second um, cycle of seven, trumpets being blown, reminding us of judgment and repentance. And I want to end by telling you guys um, kind of the way that I picture the judgment. We've talked a lot about the judgment seat when God comes back and he judges us all which for some of us may bring about joy, others fear. For Christians, judgment is a positive word, right? Because we'll be judged in light of Jesus Christ. But the way I picture judgment is this. Imagine a huge arena, like a football arena, and every person in the world is filled with this football arena, okay? And God's in the middle on his judgment seat, on his big throne, much better looking than the one that I've drawn for you many times. And God's there, and every person is brought before him. And every person is judged, because this is what it says is going to happen. Every person who's ever walked is going to be judged. And all of us were looking down at this judgment. And every time God judges somebody, the whole stadium bursts into applause and says, that was the perfect judgment. God, wow, that's perfect. I never would have come up with that solution. Wow. We all will agree with his perfect judgment because he is the perfect judge. You see, we don't have to sit on the judgment seat and have every person brought before us. All we have to do is believe that God in his perfection will judge everyone perfectly. And so whether it be Hitler that sits in that seat, Stalin or Scott Hawkins, the whole crowd will say, well done, God. Perfect. And that's the God that we worship. You see, judgment is something for us that we believe in who he is. And so we believe that he'll do it perfectly every time. And we will agree with his judgments. And so we have this scary part of scripture and we have this imagery that is so terrifying. It reminds us of this kind of judgment. And I encourage you to allow that to be there, to not run from the judgment of God, but to allow that judgment and mercy to be mixed together because they always are in him. And just as often as we sing about the mercy of God, we sing about the judgment of God, but we do so recognizing that he is the perfect judge. 
And so all of these things happening, all of the, the, the bombs going off and the world being destroyed and the fire and all these things that are happening, a third of the trees, a third of the stars, and they cause you to fear, they should cause you to do one thing every time. And it's where this chapter started, to pray. And to pray a simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We should be praying that so many times during the day. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't understand why this is happening. Come, Lord Jesus. Judge. Make things right again. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And then we will have the prayers mixed in that bowl. And we can submit and say, yes, your ways are better than mine. And so I believe in your perfect judgment. And I'll wait. And that's, that's our job. Patient endurance. To patiently endure as all of these bolt, as all these trumpets are blasted. And then we say, come, Lord Jesus, and we wait and celebrate when he comes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for the people that you have here. Lord, um, we are your church. And we believe that you will do incredible things. Lord, help us to submit to your power and authority. Help us to believe that you will come in judgment and that you will bring with it perfection. So, Lord, we submit to that truth and we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.